0: Welcome to Diverse, a Society of Women Engineers podcast. SWE gives women engineers a unique place and voice within the engineering community. On Diverse, we highlight the incredible thought leaders and personalities in our community and discover who they are at home, at work, and in between. You can find all of
1: our podcast episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and iHeartRadio.
2: Welcome to SWEE Stories, Tales from the Archives. I'm Anne Perusik, SWE's Director of Editorial and Publications. Please remember to subscribe and follow us on social media at SWE Diverse Podcast.
1: And I'm Troy Eller-English, SWE's archivist. For today's episode, we have two special guests, Carol Sudden-Lewis, producer and co-host of the third season of the Lost Women of Science podcast, and Nora Matheson, Senior Editor and Social Media Manager for the series. Welcome.
3: Hi. Thank you. Hi. Thank you for
2: having us. Great to be here. Well, we're excited to have both of you here today to discuss the Lost Women of Science series, particularly this season's focus on SWE fellow Yvonne Young-Clark, otherwise known as YY. She was SWE's first African-American member, joining the Society in 1952. She became very involved in SWE both locally and nationally. She served on the Executive Committee in the 1970s and was recognized as a SWE Fellow in 1984. She received the Distinguished Engineering Educator Award in 1998, and she had a career of many, many firsts. But before we get into the details of Yvonne's life, why don't we start with some background on the series overall, since this is now your third season, and maybe you can begin by telling us what inspired you to begin the series.
3: Sure, I can speak to this. So I was not part of the beginning of the series, but Katie Hafner and Amy Scharf, who are the two executive producers, came across this story about a pathologist named Dorothy Anderson. And they were fascinated by it. They learned that she was the person who basically figured out what was causing a bunch of infant deaths in the 30s. And she realized it was something that a disease that hadn't been identified yet called cystic fibrosis. She named it cystic fibrosis. And they said, this is an incredible story. People, not enough people know about this person. And yet she identified a disease and had this extremely significant role in medicine. and they as they were talking about her, they decided to, we have to tell her story somehow. And they realized there must be thousands, hundreds or thousands of other women like her who have made these contributions, who haven't yet been recognized or gotten enough credit. So they thought, let's make a series called Lost Women of Science. And that's how the podcast and all of the different <laughs> archives and t- you know stories, basically how the podcast came to be.
0: Yes, just to add a little to that, Amy background is background as a bioethicist and Katie is a New York Times journalist who focuses on writing about science and they wanted to tell these stories and inspire girls and young women to pursue STEM careers. So, there was a dual purpose. They wanted to let the world know about them, but they also wanted to encourage young women particularly to follow these paths.
3: Yeah, definitely. They always say we play it forwards and backwards because we're looking back into history to get these stories. and But the hope is very much forward, forward oriented. We hope that people will hear these stories and become inspired to, especially girls and young women, to mm-hmm. pursue careers in STEM. I and- love that idea. <laughs> <laughs> so can you
1: tell us more about the first two seasons of Lost Women of Science?
3: Yeah, so... Indeed, the first season was about Dorothy Anderson, the pathologist. Basically, it tells the story of how she was working in a basement at Columbia University's Babies Hospital. And at that time, there were a number, she was seeing a number of infant deaths from a mysterious cause that had often been, often been diagnosed with celiac disease, which is a gastrointestinal disease. But she realized that it was actually a multi-system problem. They were showing a lot of of different organs seem to be affected, especially their, their pancreases, or they, their, they showed a hardened pancreas. And she thought this didn't quite match up with existing diagnoses. And she realized that it was something new. So she identified and named cystic fibrosis. So that season one, that tells that story. And it's almost unfolds kind of like a mystery because it is such a confounding, it was such a confounding illness. And then our second season was about Basically, in a, there are more qualifiers to this, but the first computer programmer named Clara von Neumann, Clara Don von Neumann, and she was somebody who, she was Hungarian. She had moved to the United States during the war, and she ended up, she had no background really in science or, I mean, certainly no background in computer programming because computer programming as we know it didn't exist, but she ended up getting married to the really famous mathematician, John von Neumann, who he's famous for. He truly had a hand in so many discoveries in, in math, science, programming across the board. And he's also famous because he invented game theory, but he at that time was working on developing using these brand new big massive room-sized computers he wanted to figure out a way to apply that technology towards optimizing nuclear weapons so he basically realized so at that time clara von neumann was working as a human computer at she was doing population research doing computing work and he realized that she was extremely gifted at mathematics and he basically enlisted her to write the program that would be used on this really early electronic computer, ENIAC. And when that program that she had written was run, it became the first program ever run on an electronic computer. So she was the first modern style computer programmer.
1: Okay. And then that brings us to the most recent season, season three, which is focused on Y.Y. Clark. So can you tell us how you discovered her? And then how did you research deep into her life and career to put this season together?
0: Well, I can talk about this. I came to Lost Women of Science to work with them on this season. And the, her discovery preceded me. From what I understand, one of our producers, Sophie, found her in a book. And Nora, what was the name of that book?
3: That book was called Black Women Scientists in the United States by Winnie Warren.
0: And so they found her and had some had a brief sketch of her and contacted me to see if I would work with them. Katie and Amy contacted me and I was delighted to, for a number of reasons, I was really fascinated to discover that there was this black woman engineer who had been born in 1929 to parents, to a doctor father and a librarian journalist mom who wanted to be an engineer and made her way through Howard being the first woman to graduate with a mechanical engineering degree from Howard, to go on to do amazing work with the Apollo programs and then teach for 55 years. Her story was just too good to not want to dive into and find out more about. So therein began the process and we dove into, we understood she had a long-term relationship with Swee, and that was one of the first places we went to look for information about Yvonne Young Clark, who is known by all as YY. Well,
2: certainly, Swee was a big part of YY's life. And there was a particular incident from Swee's early years that was just so telling about that period in the United States, about YY's membership in Swee and her relationship to the members. So can we play a clip from Episode 2 of your series, where this is captured so perfectly? And for our listeners, you can find this and all the episodes from the series at lostwomenofscience.org forward slash
4: season dash three. Although she'd left industry at this point, YY made sure to stay connected with people in her field. She was a member of the Society of Women Engineers. Or SWE.
5: I joined after I finished college in 1952.
4: SWE had just formed two years earlier, and its mission was to advocate for female engineers. In her application, YY included a headshot
0: so that SWE knew she was a black woman and they weren't blindsided by her race. She got a call from the SWE president a week later. She was in. I integrated the Society of Women Engineers. YY was the first African-American to join. She later said, I'd found a home among peers.
5: I've been active in SWE really ever since I joined. I would try to always get to convention.
4: That's YY again. In 2001, when she was in her early 70s, she and a few other SWE members got together to reminisce about their careers. One story really stood out. SWE held an annual convention for its members.
5: In 58, was it 58 or 57?
4: It was 57.
5: The convention met in Houston, Texas.
4: SWE held its national conference at a hotel in Houston. YY remembers arriving and walking up to the front desk.
5: And I said, I'm here to attend the Women Engineers Convention and uh, found out that they wouldn't let me stay there.
0: The hotel had been told that SWE was an integrated organization. But it turned out the manager of the hotel thought it was just a joke. He said, Who ever heard of a colored female engineer? But that very engineer was standing right in front of him. And as usual, she was prepared.
5: I got everything I supposed to have, reservations and everything. And I said, here's my reservation for your hotel with guarantee. And the man reached for my... I said, no, 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 this is mine. You find yours.
0: Y.Y. held on tightly to her confirmation, proof that she'd booked a room. But to no avail, the hotel wouldn't let her check in. They even tried to prevent her from attending the conference at all.
6: The kids today just really can't imagine people acting like that.
0: Patsy Chapelier was one of the organizers of that 1957 SWE convention. She lived in Houston and still does. She remembers what it was like in 1957.
6: I grew up in a segregated state in a segregated society. It is so hard to explain to somebody today who wasn't alive back then what the society was like.
0: When the SWE members heard that YY was being told to leave,
5: they wanted to pull the convention out of the hotel.
0: And not only that, SWE's president threatened to sue the hotel and tell every newspaper about the incident.
5: And I said, no, 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 no. It takes time to get Convention, national convention, moving smooth. Yeah. And I wouldn't, let, uh, I wouldn't let them pull it now on my account.
0: Why I appreciated that Sweet would go to bat for her.
5: She was very
6: polite and, you know, didn't want to cause a problem, but we were very determined that she came to town to go to the convention, that she was going to go to the convention. So we did it.
0: They considered booking her a room somewhere else.
5: They sent me over to uh, the hotel, recommended a uh, segregated hotel.
0: But remember, this is in Houston, where YY's family, the Houstons, had so much history.
5: And that's when I called my aunt. I said, I'm here, but don't have a place to stay right now. She said, OK, I'll come get you.
0: Swee and YY worked out a deal with the hotel. YY would be able to attend the conference and would be refunded the cost of her room, but she would stay with her aunt and uncle.
6: They would drive her to the convention in the morning and we would meet her there, you know, 8 o'clock or so.
0: Still, the hotel insisted that while YY was there, she had to be, quote, chaperoned.
5: I had to be accompanied at all times, from the front door back to the front door.
0: They wanted to make it clear that this black woman on the premises was not staying at the hotel.
5: She had
6: to be escorted every place to the restroom. She could not be left alone while we were on the convention floor. And It did upset everybody.
0: But YY had a different take on that experience. As she told her colleagues from SWE in 2001,
5: We had a ball. Anytime anybody wanted some cigarettes, they came and found me and we walked. So I've been to the newsstand and coffee shop. We went (laughs) everywhere that one Mm week. We had a ball.
0: YY made her presence as known as possible. She delighted in exposing the absurdity of the hotel's racist demand. It's a perfect example of how Y.Y. dealt with the discrimination she faced. As she put it,
5: If you roll with the punches and don't wear other people's problems, you can make it with a smile. But when you start worrying about other people and their problems, it's just, it hurts you.
4: After the 1957 conference, the SWE Executive Committee made a statement that SWE would not hold conventions in the southern United States until the Civil Rights Act was passed.
5: The organization didn't go south until all the members were protected. In
4: 1997,
0: SWE finally returned to Houston. This time, YY received a plaque, a key to the city, and an apology for her treatment in 1957. And she was honored as Sui's Distinguished Engineering Educator.
3: There's just the circumstances, there's the unfairness, of course, of what is happening. But then there's also her response. I think we really try to look closely. Every time she responds to discrimination or discrimination, she does it in such a particular way. I think that's what we really try to dig into here, because it's truly like it's instructive for anyone meeting any obstacles. She just has an, inc- like a really, she has an incredible attitude and approach and almost system for dealing with these things. And her philosophy is really inspiring.
0: I love how this clip so encapsulates so much of what we have known and grown to love about YY and her perspective. Many who encountered what she did at the registrar's office would have been, I mean, at the registration desk. Would have been appalled, horrified, perhaps even embarrassed, but would have been angry and would have demonstrated that anger. And YY, in typical YY fashion, she was pragmatic. When Sui offered to move the convention because they were outraged that the hotel had reneged on their assertion that YY would be welcome. YY explained, as it said in the clip, that no, that was not what she wanted. She practically said, this doesn't make any sense to upend this convention. Instead, when they worked out this compromise where she would be allowed to go in the front door, which she normally wouldn't have, but she'd have to be escorted everywhere, she took this really what could have been a really uncomfortable, difficult situation, and by her telling, used it to her benefit, saw the benefits of it. And she was such a problem solver in her approach to engineering and in her response to the various forms of discriminations that she encountered. It all comes together in this clip where you see that she just she viewed all of these obstacles as other people's problems that she was going to circumvent, however she could. So it's really it's a great story about why. Why it's also a great story about Sui because. Clearly, this is an organization that stood behind their membership and wanted to do whatever they could to support her.
2: Yeah, I always loved when YY would say, don't wear other people's problems. I think that was really key to her being able to navigate these kinds of, you know, really terrible experiences. But she refused to wear other people's problems. And that made her very, I think, very effective and yeah. probably shielded her from internalizing things in a way that would be quite painful and and very difficult.
1: There's a newspaper clipping in Sui's archives from the 1950s, and the headline is, they forgot to tell me I couldn't do it. And I always feel like that sums her up, that she was going to push ahead <laughs> and and not let other people hold her back, without, you know, she didn't come across as very confrontational in what I have seen. She was just going to do it her for herself.
3: Mm-hmm. There's this great, I think that's so true. There's this really great quote she has. We really got so much research from a biography that or a partial autobiography, partial biography that Y son is working on. It's not published yet. But YY has this analogy where she compares, It's this is to speak to the non-confrontational point, but she compares somebody saying something nasty as basically you're being served, it's like playing tennis, you're being served a tennis ball. And if you hit it back, then you're in the game. But if you just let it kind of sit there, then the person has few options. They can do the same thing again, or but then it's transparent what they're doing. I think that it's so interesting because- I think a lot of the times we think about this a lot when we make all of our seasons, but there's, we talk about women who don't let society get to them or who kind of let it, let things, they basically don't let other people get to them. They push through obstacles. But I think in YY's case, one of the reasons this season was so interesting is because we actually have a portrait of how exactly that's done, almost like rules of a game. She's so systematic And has such a strong philosophy about how exactly to do that, that I think you can really get in not just to the fact that she pushed through obstacles, but how exactly. And I think that's, it has everything to do with her engineering approach, too. She has almost an engineering approach to meeting racism, sexism, discrimination, (laughs) and obstacles.
0: Absolutely. (laughs) I would just add that her family was incredibly supportive. Not incredibly, but genuinely very supportive of her. As I mentioned, her father was a doctor and her mother was a librarian and journalist. And for African-Americans to have these positions in the 20s meant that they had pushed through to get educated and the community in which YY was born and raised was filled with people who were focused on higher education and the value of family and community. So when she, at an early age, said that she wanted to, first she wanted to be a pilot, and then she wanted to pursue engineering, her family surrounded her with the encouragement to do so. I mean, their point was, their response was, okay, well, let's figure out how you can do this. And so if you start from a family that, mind you, is in a bit of a bubble in the rest of the world, I mean, they were in Nashville, Tennessee, with this very tight-knit Black community, but clearly in the world they live, they understood that, how they lived was not how everyone lived, so they worked very hard to give her a sense of what she could do and to help her feel like there was nothing she couldn't accomplish while at the same time helping her understand the way the actual world was working. I think this family worked really well in giving her a bit of a shield or a force field that protected her from internalizing the negative comments she got, the discrimination she encountered. It didn't ever seem to pierce her being and and hence that was her. That way, she could say, It's not my problem. So, that was, it was really interesting as we dove into her life and her family, her family's life, how much that seemed to help her maintain this confidence throughout.
2: That's one of the things I really liked about your series is that you revealed so many things about her family history, of things that I did not know. And that's after knowing YY and having run articles about her in the SWE magazine, and I worked on her bio when she received the Distinguished Engineering Educator Award. And even though I knew she came from a family of professionals and she, you know, had her saying, don't wear other people's problems, I think your series really delved into just how that came to be. And I really, really appreciated that.
1: Yes. You know, looking back at that story from the 1957 convention, you know, I had always thought that it was very lucky that she had an aunt in Houston that she could stay with. And I did not realize until I listened to this season that she came from such a prominent family and she was actually a descendant of Sam Houston and that it wasn't luck,
0: (laughs) Well, sort of a descendant of Sam Houston. Right. <laughs> Sam right. Houston bought her great grandfather as a slave with him to Houston. But yes, yes, she right. was a Houston. She, her great grandfather, took on the last name Houston. So she actually, she was a Houston. And her her aunt, who with whom she stayed in Houston, was a very prominent Houstonian, both in name and in locale.
1: <laughs> right. I was also struck by something that her son Milton had mentioned. uh, I think it was in the first episode that she had attached a photo of herself to her SWE application in 1952 so that the membership committee would understand that she was Black when they were considering whether or not to accept her as a member of the society. And, you know, I have a lot of portraits of YY in SWE's archives. But she seems significantly younger in one of them than the other portraits. And so I, I'm i really wondering if that's the picture. <laughs> that's
3: interesting. Yeah, that was I think that's so interesting. She w- really went back and forth on when she applied to things, revealing that she was both Black and a woman because it in certain cases it was necessary and in certain cases, it was really harmful. I mean, there's so many cases of this, but they're really, I think the first one is when she applied to college at the University of Louisville, where she wanted to go because she was from, Carol, I think you said she was from, her family was in Nashville, but I think they she was mostly raised in Louisville, Kentucky.
0: Oh, right. Um, My apologies. Yes, it was Louisville, I just to, Kentucky. <laughs> yeah,
3: I think that's probably just to clarify. She, she
0: raised her family in Nashville, but she was yes. raised in Louisville.
3: Yes. Thanks, yeah. Nora. Yeah, just want to make sure we got that. But anyway, she wanted to be near her family when she went to college, so she applied to the University of Louisville for engineering, and they accepted her. And then when she showed up at an orientation, they said, oh, we didn't know that you were Black. You, We can't admit you. And she ended up through, her mom basically ended up going back and forth with the university, and the university ended up paying for her tuition. I mean, it was discriminatory. They ended up paying for her tuition at Howard university for her not to go there. And then ultimately her brother, he ended up integrating the school. He ended up, I think, Carol, correct me if I'm wrong, but ended up being the first black student to go yes, to that Yes. He, he did college, enroll. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which is pretty amazing. And then her Among mom. The first. Yeah. And then her mom ended up becoming the first uh, black woman in the law school, I believe. So Anyway, I did the photo thing. I mean, had she included a photo, this the whole thing never would have happened. And later, I it was, I think gender was also a factor. Later, it was her husband, Bill Clark, who said, you should go by YY so people don't look at your name and know that you're a woman. And that way you can at least get your foot in the door. So there was, I think, this ongoing question throughout her career, if she should lead with, if she should obscure her identity in various ways so that she could actually have access to opportunities, or if she should say, I am a black woman at the onset so that she wouldn't have to deal with maybe the trauma of like terrible discrimination.
0: I think she was actually fairly strategic about it Mm -hmm. because in the instances of work where she could see that it was going to be an issue if they knew her gender or her race, so they wouldn't even let her get her foot in the door. She was very strategically did not reveal that. So she could at least sort of make her way in. I think when it came to SWE, where an organization that was dedicated to helping people like her find their way in the profession, and one I which I imagine she envisioned making friends in and getting to know people in, I imagine she thought it was really important that they knew who they were admitting so that she wouldn't have, I mean, so that she was wanted, that she was welcomed into the organization. So it stands to reason that she would want to include her picture in that because... Whereas she she had to do whatever was necessary to get the job, I think, with respect to Sweet, since she really wanted to be a part of the organization, she wanted them to want her as well.
3: Totally. She said, I was just reading this quote in the biography where she says, "Swee felt like true sisterhood. I think truly, mm-hmm. it was truly like a, a familial and, you know, it was personal support, not just professional support to her.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can say that, you know, women who joined SWE uh, during those years, like in the, the early members from the 50s, they really did seem to have a certain camaraderie, a certain kind of sisterhood. They would get together at SWE conferences, which they called conventions for a very long time, but they would get together in a room called the Over the Hill Suite, and they would share stories with younger SWE members and Kind of reminisce at the same time, and there was certainly a really wonderful bond that you could witness if you were lucky enough to be in the room
0: when they were all together. That sounds amazing.
3: <laughs> it does, and you were in the room, right? I mean, what I'm curious, Anne, what YY was like when you met her.
2: You know, she was she was really warm and gracious, as you could probably tell just from the sound of her voice, and and also unassuming. You know, and very approachable. And then as I got to know her story, I was really fascinated. And, you know, I thought that I knew her pretty well. And I think I did. But when I heard all of your research on like going a deep dive into her family, then everything that I had ever known about her made
0: so much more sense. Yeah.
2: Well, that's you know,
0: she passed on that strength of family to her own family, the family she raised with her husband, Bill, because the one of the deepest ways into her story came from both of her children. As Nora and Troy both mentioned, her son, Milton, has written a book and still in the process of writing a book about her. And her daughter, Carol, has saved boxes and boxes and boxes of memorabilia. And it was with Carol that I first met and to sort of who really introduced me to the story of the history of the Houston family and all that her mom did. So yeah, her her family life, her her family history was so integral to who she was.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So you've completed your third season now featuring YY. And I'm just wondering, do you have plans for future seasons?
3: We do. We actually haven't announced the season subject yet. We're just starting the research phase, which is very fun. But I will give a, a hint and just say that this woman was very controversial when she was working, and her work actually remains pretty controversial, at least in a sense, and is kind of the subject of some big medical and government funding debates in the present. So we're really excited to kind of contribute to that conversation. I will also say that we have a new segment of the series coming out called Lost Women of Science Shorts. so. As you know, generally we give a full season to one woman and we really dig deep and really explore her for multiple episodes, usually four or five episodes and a bonus episode. But these shorts are kind of like all of that condensed into one 30 to 40 minute episode. So we have quite a few of those coming up on different women who we just, we have a list of over 200 women. And a season takes a while to produce. We put so much research into everything and we just thought we need to pick up the pace here because there are so many women that deserve to be known and we need to start getting their names out there. So we're trying to do that in these shorts. So we're really, really excited for those to come out, I believe, in January.
1: I am excited
3: to listen to them.
1: Are you accepting suggestions for other lost women in science and technology?
0: Yes. If you go to the lostwomenofscience.org website and hit the click on contact us, you can send a message. And in that message, you can include any suggestions of people that of women that you think should be included. As Nora says, we have a big list, but we're always happy to add new names to it.
3: Yeah. I think the tab is now called get in touch. So if you get to go to the website, you click on get in touch and we love submissions and truly we really will do our best to make them into a podcast (laughs) Um, because we want these names out there. So we love hearing from people. Can
2: you remind our listeners how to access that again, please?
0: Well, they can access the podcast through a variety of ways through our website, lostwomenofscience.org and through the Scientific American website because the podcast is just sponsored by PRX and published in partnership with Scientific American. And we're also available on Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, with any platform, any podcast platform.
3: And then if you would like to share anything with us, share somebody, a woman's name who did something amazing in science, you can go to lostwomenofscience.org and then click on the get in touch tab and you'll see a place to contact us with a message. And we'd love to hear from you.
1: All right. Well, Carol and Nora, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us today. All three seasons of Lost Women of Science, they're fantastic, they're informative, and they're really just a delight to listen to. But of course, the third season about YY is my favorite.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much for having us. We have been so thrilled to have benefited so much from your organization's work, and it's really exciting to be able to talk with you about YY.
3: Agreed. It has been, it's truly been so amazing going through your interviews and archives and learning about YY through the work you've done to to save information about her life. So thank you so much for having us. Well,
2: thank you. Thank you. We really enjoyed this conversation. Really, was so enriching. So I'm Anne Perusik and thanks from all of us at SWE. Thanks for listening.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode of Diverse. Please don't forget to subscribe and share this episode with your social network. You can keep up to date with our podcast on Instagram at SWE Diverse Podcast and on our blog, all together at altogether.swe.org.